action, excitement. The Bible has it all. Let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O God, our strength, our rock, and our redeemer. Amen. So like Ingrid was saying at, uh, when the children were up here in the front, basically uh, David and Goliath is the only story as our post-Christian culture knows even though the Christian memory is fading fast. Basically, the phrase David and Goliath is shorthand for a smaller opponent facing a larger one, with the smaller opponent usually winning through intelligence, skill, or insert whatever else here. Which is true, because everybody loves an underdog, or at least an underdog story. We love the stories. We don't really love underdogs in real life as much but in stories we certainly do. But there's more to this story than just beating the odds. Often stories in the Bible get told so many times that we only see them from one angle or one particular vantage point. So we assume we know what they're about or we know what they mean without actually wrestling or diving deep into the text. And if you dive deep, you'll notice that this part of the story has an army of Philistines ready to pour over the border into Israel, the land of God's people. The Philistines are one of Israel's neighbors, a local empire. They're always threatening to invade, threatening to destroy. They're always the bad guys in the Bible. They have more soldiers. They have better technology, latest cutting-edge weaponry, you know, with a laser sight and stuff like that. So they're scary to begin with. But then this one guy who sticks out from all the rest, a guy named Goliath, nine or ten feet tall, chain mail from head to toes, steel helmet, spear longer than his body, or sword longer than his body. In the children's Bible we read at home, it's like David like, has obviously sharpened his teeth down to like points or something, or Goliath has sharpened his teeth down to points or something like that, vampire teeth or something, so he's extra scary. And so it's no wonder that when he challenges Israel's army to send out a champion to face him, the whole army freezes. Basically, if somebody can kill him, Goliath says, his whole army will surrender as slaves. That's it. But nobody in the kingdom has the courage. They're all terrified, even the king. Nobody has the guts to face Goliath except for David, the smelly little shepherd boy. True, David is gorgeous. We've said this before. He's an attractive man. Probably on the cover of Bronze Age People magazine, as sexiest man of the year. But he's the younger brother. He's small, no military training. Instead, he's in the livestock business. You won't find him in the gym. Instead, you'll find him out in the pasture watching sheep, writing songs, reciting poetry. So when he volunteers, you can imagine that people think he's either crazy or he's stupid or both. But there's one of those details that makes all the difference. Remember how I said we don't pay attention to the details. 
when Saul, the king, hears that David's up for the challenge, basically he sends him out. God be with you, he says. It doesn't say, but I imagine Saul's tone being something like, uh, good luck, or your funeral, something like that. But before Saul sends him out, he heaps his royal armor over David's shoulders. He pats a shining steel helmet on David's head and shoves his only one-of-a-kind sword in David's hand in the hopes that this will even the odds somehow. You see, Saul decks David out with royal weaponry because he assumes that the only way to beat Goliath is going to be to beat Goliath on his own terms and with Goliath's own weapons. Fight the same way he fights. Use the same weapons he uses against him. But even Saul knows he's sending David out to slaughter. Saul assumes that the only way him and his people will be free is by matching sword for sword. Even though with sword in hand, he knows David's about to get squished quickly. Now, I don't know about you, but I haven't been challenged to hand-to-hand combat recently. Maybe you have, or maybe you've challenged someone. I don't know. Like I said, everybody's welcome here. (laughs) Nor have I been oppressed by a giant from a technologically advanced neighbor to intimidate me. But I do know is that we share Saul's attitude when it comes to the things that hold power over our lives and our world, the things that shape us, oppress us, the things that enslave us and control us. Our response to the things that hold us, oppress us, and imprison us tend to be the flip side of the same action. We respond to aggression with more aggression, even if it's passive aggression. People will talk trash about us, so we'll usually talk it back, usually behind their backs. When somebody we love betrays or hurts us, we'll stock our souls with enough poison to use against them, then realize we're the ones actually getting sick. Or we're plagued by insecurity and worries about not having enough money, enough stuff, and the solution is just to smother that feeling with more money and more stuff. not realizing that there will never be enough. Or when addiction burns a hole in our lives, we just try to fill that hole with the same thing. Fight it with the same thing. More drugs, more drinking. Even at the smallest level, if you've ever had children, you'll know that yelling at your kids to stop yelling usually just produces more yelling. Hitting produces more hitting. We fight fire with fire, but then everything gets burned down. Like Saul, we assume the way to prevail against the people and things that hold us down is to hit them back with the same thing. But violence begets violence. Hurt begets more hurt. It's true, we can turn the weapons that have wounded us against those who have hurt us. That's true. We could try to hurt them back, but the same weapons used to hurt us never have the power to heal us. They'll never free us. 
and they usually make things worse. They'll never fix the problem. They'll never actually make things right for ourselves or others. But this little guy, David, he knows this, at least at this point. To be honest, David goes off the rails later in the Bible. But at this point, he knows the truth. He knows he can never defeat Goliath on his own terms or with his own weapons. So David arms himself with a completely different one. He drops his sword, he steps out of the armor, he grabs the staff that he shepherds with, and he hikes down to the creek and he tucks five smooth stones and his sling into his leather pouch before he faces the giant. The giant laughs, of course. Who's this handsome little man you've sent to me? I will crush him, it'll be easy. But, David says, I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. The Lord does not save by sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. Goliath takes a couple steps towards him, and this is just really quick. David takes a few more steps, grabs a rock, swings it. Goliath is dead. Philistines flee. David's won the field. He's a hero. Goliath's armor couldn't save him, his helmet couldn't protect him, and his sword lay on the ground beside him, completely useless because he never got the chance to use it. While the little handsome dude with the sling and a few rocks stands victorious. Saul assumed that the battle could only be won on Goliath's terms, but David knew differently. The Lord does not save by sword or spear, he says. He understands that true freedom doesn't come at the tip of a sword or by using the same weapons used to oppress him and his people. He knows that God doesn't work like that. He knows there's a difference between the weapons used to wound us, to oppress us, and the way God heals our wounds and saves us from oppression and suffering. He knows the weapons used to wound us will never heal us, never save us, so he picks up a completely different one. Now I know that the language of weaponry, battle, armed struggle, it kind of makes us uncomfortable, and rightly so, especially when we insert God into the equation and religion into the equation and armed struggle together. It rightly makes us nervous. But the Bible actually flips this language on its head. The New Testament sees David as pointing us towards Jesus, but with a twist. Like David, Jesus faces a much larger opponent, the brokenness of the world, the powers of sin and death. And he refuses to use Goliath's weapons. The only weapon Jesus is armed with is the word of his mouth. And he wins the victory wielding not a sling and five smooth stones, but a cross. To those who hate him, Jesus meets them with self-giving love. For those who inflict pain on him, Jesus offers mercy. And even for those who persecute and kill him, Jesus offers grace. Father, he says, forgive them, for they know not what they do. This is that 
what that old song, you know, onward Christian soldiers, marching as to war with the cross of Jesus going on before means. It's engaged in spiritual struggle against the things in our world that are so much larger than what we can face. Like David, Jesus knows there's a difference between the weapons used to wound us, to oppress us, and the way God heals our wounds and saves us from oppression and suffering. He knows the weapons used to wound us will never heal us, will never save us. So he uses a different one. He offers up himself. No, God doesn't work the way the world works. Like David says, the Lord does not save by sword and spear, but the struggle is real. It means that betrayal we feel, our suffering and our hurt won't be defeated by revenge or by our own self-destruction. It means that our freedom will only be won by sacrificial love and forgiveness. It means that our greed, that our desire for more and more and more will never be won by money or by stuff. Our greed will only be vanquished by generosity. Our stinginess can only be slain by giving it away. It means the pain and the suffering in our souls that lead us down paths of sadness and addiction will never be conquered by simply using more, but can only be overthrown by the healing power of God's Spirit. These are the five smooth stones Jesus hands us. So friends, brothers and sisters, The weapons used to hurt us will never heal us, never free us from the things that oppress us or enslave us. Goliath will never be beaten on his own terms. But the good news is that Goliath can be beat. And Christ arms us with the cross. He tucks the smooth stones of mercy and grace in our bag to overcome so we can live as free people healed and made new in the light of God's mercy and grace. And for this, thanks be to God. Amen.